Thank you for listening to CFB Talks Digital Assets. This recording is for informational purposes only and should not be considered investment advice. It is not intended nor should it be considered an invitation or inducement to buy or sell any of the underlying instruments cited, including but not limited to crypto assets, financial instruments, or any instruments that reference any index provided by CF Benchmarks Limited. This recording is not intended to persuade or incite you to buy or sell a security or securities noted within. Any commentary, interviews, and discussions are opinions only and should not be considered a personalized recommendation. Please contact your financial advisor or professional before making any investment decision. Some of the underlying instruments cited within this recording may be restricted to certain customer categories in certain jurisdictions. You're listening to CFB Talks Digital Assets, the home of informed conversation about crypto for institutions building the future of finance, presented by CF Benchmarks. I'm Ken O'Delaga, Head of Content, and I'm joined by Gabe Selby, our Lead Research Analyst. Hi guys, and thanks a lot for joining us for another episode of CFB Talks Digital Assets. I'm Ken, Head of Content, and I'm joined by my friend and colleague, as usual, Gabe Selby, who's over there in New York. Hi, Gabe. Hey everybody, how's it going? Excited to, you know, kick us off um, with the first part of the year talking about what's happening in crypto for the next 12 months. So outlooks are always, you know, you, you do your best to try, out, try and nail down some some concrete examples of what you think should play out. But we all know things are pretty fluid, especially this this market and this environment. So we have to just... Difficult to predict. Yeah, but we can take small victories when we can. Sure. What, what I want to start with, uh, Gabe, is um, I'm looking at the... Um... CMECF Bitcoin real-time index, the main institutional uh, live streaming index for uh, Bitcoin. And it's at 22,845 or around that level. And, um, you know, the last time we spoke, uh, you know, this context in a podcast was probably flailing around 19K. So this is a major improvement relative to that. And uh, what's behind that, Gabe? Yeah, I mean, we're getting close to that 23,000 threshold and we've completely kind of come through you know the, the FTX wipeout that we saw in early November and I think what you can take away is a few things so one um, it's not just concentrated in ethereum and Bitcoin it's it's more of a broader rally across digital assets which to me means it's not as as defensive as if you were to see just the bigger kind of mega cap two tokens, Ethereum and Bitcoin, uh, doing a lot of the performance, you'd say this is kind of like a defensive bear market rally. This looks like it's a little bit more constructive than that. And so when we look at, you know, the broader market, we can we can use our uh, institutional measure, the CF broad cap index. And I'm looking at it a few ways. So year to date, you know, it's up, let's just say around 44% some change. And when you're comparing it to global equities, it's you know outperforming by the biggest margin of since January 2021. So it's a very strong start of the year. This does play into the outlook and you know what we're looking for um, to happen when you're in this kind of environment that's still challenging. It's there's a lot of uncertainty. No one's really projecting you know uh, a, a pickup in global growth. If anything, you know most fo- most folks are calling for a mild to short recession, and that's what we're looking for as well. So in that challenging growth environment, I see crypto being set up to kind of poise to continue to kind of outperform other traditional risky assets. And we can go into those, those themes, um, which I summarize as kind of the three R's. 
before we jump into that, but yes, this is um, the, if you like, de facto 2023 Outlook podcaster edition. So looking at just, just drilling down or sort of focusing on this year of Broadcap Index a little bit more, why do you, you know, how do you actually account for this broad-based, literally broad-based um, recovery across the board? Um, we talked about Bitcoin. Um, we did say it was um, a bit uh, more widespread than that. But is there any sort of reason why we would expect several assets within the space, large cap, mid cap, probably a few small caps as well? I'm not so sure about the trends. Well, why would we see this broad-based, um, I don't want to say recovery, but certainly rebound? I think if, if you look at really what was driving the market in 2022, it was a lot of the macro headwinds that we were dealing with, you know, with inflation, tighter financial conditions, uh, global central banks going, you know, on a on a war to uh, wage against these things and, and really kind of take a lot of steam out of the financial conditions. I think, you know, the market seems to be kind of pricing in this pivot. So when we talk about the three R's, we're talking about relief of macro headwinds, we're talking about regulatory clarity, and we're talking about a secular recovery. And with the first R, we're talking about relief, the market's really starting to price in maybe a, a quicker turnaround for leading central banks like the US Fed to take you know its foot off the pedal on increasing rates. And that has kind of had this, I think, kind of springboard effect. Because when we look at the risk return profile of crypto assets specifically, you can typically see in these bull and bear market cycles, you know, you, you rally very strong to the upside and then you have these kind of bigger drawdowns. And we've approached that threshold at the end of 2022 after the fallout of FTX and the last deleveraging event that we're getting towards that bottom threshold that you typically see, you know, when a, a bear market cycle starts to kind of trough. You know, it's it's maybe too soon to call the bottom yet, but I think the sheer asymmetry of the potential return um, now that we've kind of gone through a major part of the, the drawdown, it's starting to draw investors back in quickly and their market's always forward looking. So you you anticipate this to kind of happen maybe before we get the definitive answer that inflation, you know, has fully peaked and we're on our way down, which is what we believe. Sure. But I mean, um, and you alluded to this, uh, Gabe, um, is it possible to know the extent to which we should discount this potential relief recovery or rebound due to the fact that we are dealing with the most volatile asset class in the world, or at least partly, we put it in you know the broader macro picture. <laughs> How much should we discount it on that basis? Yeah, I think in, there's an old uh, English expression. Uh, I think one swallow doesn't make a summer. No, it's a spring. It's a spring, actually. One swallow doesn't make a spring. Well, that's even better. Yeah. But, <laughs> you know, we're, we're in crypto winter, so um, we're looking for a spring. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I'm starting to be more constructive. I thought, you know, it would take maybe a little bit longer. And I'm going to keep an eye on a lot of these um, inflationary uh, categories. First, ones that are stickier. And this is what we talk about in the outlook. So when you look at core services, this is something that continues to trend up. And what we've seen on the, on the inflation side is mainly relief from the good side, especially like the cyclical goods, such as energy. So good, literally goods. Okay, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah goods versus services. So when you start to see this market start to price in, you know, a softer landing, uh, a more bullish environment, um, one potential risk is that you start to see maybe some of these gremlins that were haunting us last year, like crude oil, you know, which I think was trading closer to $90 this morning on West, West Texas Intermediate. When that starts to come up, you know, it could 
probably give you a little bit of an inflation surprise to the upside, which would be very bad after you started to price some of this stuff in. You could get maybe a more of a price correction down the road. Sure. Just to be 100% clear, um, Gabe, I go back to this point, you know, just to be 100% clear, when we're talking about recovery in terms of the, some uh, quantitative recovery, we're talking about the PMIs, other indices of that nature that produce, provide sentiment on particular um, consumption uh, sectors. So, um, you know, your services, your sort of like a hard goods or that kind of thing, and um, how these may play, be playing into a narrative of recovery in the outlook for inflation. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah exactly. You've got it. So that's kind of what we're seeing here. Also, you know, we can touch on just a little bit. We all know what happened in November with FDX and these, you know, so-called SAM coins like FTT. Some of that news that you're getting. Is that what they call them now? Yeah, I think. FTT has gone up considerably. And I think you do have a little bit of that also micro kind of impact of what's going on with the bankruptcy proceedings. And if you get kind of more positive news with recovery, that tends to also have given us a tailwind in crypto overall. It's it's coming at kind of like a, all at the same time where you got, I think the macro headwinds are shifting more to be constructive. And then we just get a little bit of a, a little constructive thing, you know, with um, the shakeout of what happened last November. So um, we'll see, you know, if the trend continues, you still need a lot more data. But I, I think, you know, as far as with our, when, we, when we tie it back to the outlook, we're off to a, a, a strong start. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, we're starting to see some moderation, uh, at the very least, in the language of the, um, well, not just the Fed, um, across the board for major central banks around the world. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I mean, the ECB is going to probably be still a little bit more hawkish. Yeah, I saw some of those comments today, which is, yeah. I, I tend to focus on the Fed because it's been kind of the leader in this fight on inflation. You know, a lot of people would argue it's the most important central bank to follow. Can't argue with that. If you, if you like uh, want to extrapolate maybe what they're doing to other central banks, it seems to, you know, they seem to foreshadow that pretty well. But, you know, when we talk about the second R, right, regulation, you know, we can link that back to what happened in November. And I know that you did a lot of work for the outlook and covering the regulatory piece. I think it's it's fair to assume that there's there's a need for more clarity, yeah, to say the least. Uh, to get some more consumer protections and, and, and to get just some more, I think, definitive kind of frameworks that are more sophisticated. The strong impression that I got was that, um, although you're absolutely 100% right, we need, well, it's just previously axiomatic. You know, we do need a lot more clarity. We've needed a lot more clarity for a number of years. Yeah. Um, but now more so than ever. Having said that, you know, reviewing the sort of, Landscape as it stood, you know, in a kind of aggregate form, really, really abbreviated form, you know, the exercise that we did. Although there was a few standouts, so of course in the U.S. you have the White House's framework for crypto assets, got longer name than that, um, which um, will obviously uh, spawn a lot of um, regulation and rules and uh, discussion. In Europe, we had the MICA, the Marketing Cryptocurrency uh, Instruments, I believe, something like that. These are all things which are already on the table and uh, due for further development. But, you know, just to give an example, I mean, just now, literally today, we discovered that uh, MICA, the European framework, was going to be delayed. Um, I don't know what that means, I don't know how you quantify that, but it's going to be delayed for a number of months, maybe a couple of months, uh, to enable, for all sorts of reasons, to enable various um, service providers to catch up. 
you know, people to uh, get up to speak with the shape of the forthcoming regulation and so on and so forth. So, I mean, it's just in a way uh, exemplary of the fact that um, we have a huge amount of fragmentation uh, globally, certainly, and uh, certainly in major economies in terms of the uh, regulation that we have, the regulation that we need, and, you know, probably critically, the pace of the regulatory um, development that we need as well. So, yeah, maybe that's probably the most difficult part to predict um, in terms of outlook. Right. And and so with this latest kind of, I think, delay that you're seeing, Micah, do you think, I mean, it's tough to speculate, but it still seems like they have an opportunity to kind of still to lead other major regions on the regulatory side? No, abso- absolutely. I mean, it's, it's better to have this um, really quite comprehensive framework. So we see both in Europe and in the US. That's got to be seen as a as a step forward, I think, compared to, you know, as I said, the utter fragmentation uh, you know, one department not knowing what the other department's doing, not knowing where you stand. Um, so, yes, I mean, that, that is some progress um, uh, to begin with. But, yeah, I mean, we are on a long road to clarity. I think that's pretty clear. That's probably the major takeaway at, at this stage in terms of regulation. But, uh, Gabe, I just wanted to talk about maybe briefly or not so briefly, the final R, recovery. Now, how do you differentiate that from the first R, which is relief? The relief is is kind of the first step and that's when we talk about the shift in the headwind from the macro and also on the monetary policy side going to more of like a tailwind to kind of boost this thing this is hopefully going to allow and foster in my view in our view um a more uh for for these secular themes to kind of take hold so some of these key themes that we're looking for would be you know the DeFi space this is i think a space that's uh Peaked a lot of interest, especially given the recent fallout of FTX, which you know was a centralized exchange, and a lot of DeFi enthusiasts really pointed to it as a case in point of you know well, the, the code doesn't lie, and you can have these you know DeFi protocols that are been kind of stress tested and weathered through some pretty significant storms. So it's a space that saw a lot of, I think, activity degradation in 2022. We saw TVL values plummet, but now we've stabilized. And we've gotten to this point to where I think interest is starting to peak up again. So developer activity is going to pick up in 2023. And it's going to allow, I think, more of these protocols to to kind of um, gain steam. And that's that's a space that, you know, I think is going to help carry the, the recovery. Um, I think another area would be, you know, on the scaling side. So we've seen you know, a series of these tokens that are layer twos that, you know, use these popular level one settlement layers like Ethereum. And they've really boosted up the efficiency and the capacity for people to develop on the blockchain. So um, scaling is something that is getting a lot of corporate uh, partnership attention. This is something that you know we, we outlined in our in our early attribution reviews. And, and so for folks that you know are just starting to listen in, we're talking about you know actual blue chip companies. We have J.P. Morgan. We have you know all these other Fortune 500 companies that are using public blockchains and these popular tokens to facilitate and execute transactions on, 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 you know, real public blockchains. So I think that's a trend that's going to continue in 2023. And it's going to be very interesting to see what, what are some of your takes on, on what we're saying with these secular themes? Well, I mean, one thing that did come to mind and that we have discussed, um, you know, in maybe the last week or so within this kind of bucket, if you like, um, was the rebound of Solana. I mean, as we all know, Solana is 
unfortunately and inextricably linked to the um, debacles of the last several months. Blue called Samcoin, right? Yeah, that so-called Samcoin. And, and, you know, in a way, I just want to kind of come back to a theme that, you know, I, I, we touched on earlier. Um, how much credence should we actually sort of put in the rebound of Solana, which in a way, in many ways, would actually fit into your narrative, at least the beginning of your narrative, in terms of the interest. But of course, it is a little bit tainted given its recent history. And is this rebound rational or is it sort of structural or is it really just um, likely to turn out to be ephemeral and should actually not be given much credence at all? Well, it might be too soon to say you're out of the woods and you're in the structural, you know, um, kind of tailwind with Solana and you're in the clear. Um, but the certainly, you know, it rallying, I think, close to about 100% or so. You know, you can't ignore that. Which in itself might be a bit of a warning signal in some, in some respect. Yeah, but it, as far as a layer one settlement layer, it, uh, layer one um, kind of programmable blockchain, it's still one of the, you know, the top performing fastest, you know, with throughput and everything like that. It's garnered a lot of developer activity. Technically, technically, yes. Yeah. yeah, technically. And so Ethereum with its proof of stake upgrade, you know, it's it's kind of unlocked this new wave of of scaling partner partner layer, layer two solutions that are coming into this space now, and it's going to be interesting to see the battle between you know Solana, the I would say you know was once the top Ethereum killer, versus this new upgraded Ethereum, which is you know going to be seeing its Shanghai upgrade I think here in March, and that's going to allow for you know people to to take out the, their staked Ethereum. It's going to, I think, allow for, you know, further developments in the road. To answer your question, though, I think we're probably too soon to tell. I think Solana is overall here to stay. It's just, you know, whether you, you kind of get that same kind of enthusiasm that it had before this fallout might be a little bit different going forward because of what you're uh, referring to. And uh, just just uh, maybe towards the end of our discussion, um, we have sort of touched on institutional interest and the institutional interests and specific themes that are driving uh, parts of the comeback, if you want to put it that way, or rebound. Um, I noticed that in the outlook, there was a chart labeled institutional interest diverges again, diverges with price again. And of course, it was the um, our CME CF uh, Bitcoin reference rate overlaid with CME Bitcoin open interest futures. And um, you, know, you had the, the divergence of the price with the open interest. And in a way, you were sort of like drawing some conclusions about um, interest um, based on that. Because clearly um, price uh, slightly, well, price underperforming in the sort of um, medium term compared with um, open interest. Um, is that correct or am I missing a nuance here? No, that's, I think, a good way to summarize it. You know, when we look at the BRR, you know, our flagship economic reality really of Bitcoin, we saw in our last market cycle um, an uptick and institutional interests, if we were to proxy it using our CME futures uh, total open interest, so the total number of, of contracts being created on on the CME um, for Bitcoin futures, and we saw you know a really strong uptick around early 2020, happening around COVID, and then we saw the Bitcoin uh, BRR index kind of follow its way up, and um, we've obviously known what happened last year and the crypto winter that we're in, the collapse of crypto prices, including Bitcoin, but we've still seen kind of a resilient interest in these kind of uh, more institutional type products, which would be our CME Bitcoin futures. This is telling me that 
despite the the headwinds that you're seeing, you know, now with prices, institutions are still, you know, trying to get more exposure into the space. And that's definitely one of the secular themes that we're 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 gonna see maybe in the recovery. So um, you know, we we are privileged to experience this firsthand being the leading institutional benchmark provider for crypto. And so I think we are comfortable, you know, saying this is, you know, it's a, it's been a strong, you know, uh, secular tailwind for us, you know, it should be here to stay. So indeed it's difficult to basically interpret it any other way, apart from on the optimistic side, um, an indi indicative of continued institutional interest, which is what we're all about. Right. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so great. Um, we've got some, some great themes, um, from the outlook, the CF benchmarks, uh, 2023 outlook, which you can find on our website and uh, download from our LinkedIn is available to read now. And um, yeah, it's been great to discuss it with you, Gabe, and um, look forward to having many more interesting discussions uh, throughout 2023 about uh, digital assets, because, you know, despite what we saw in the last few months, it's still a really exciting market and um, the best is yet to come, I think, right? Yeah, I hope so. And as always, a pleasure. So um, until next time. Yeah. Thanks a lot, guys. And we'll speak to you again soon.